Heavenly Father, I pray that your Son, Jesus Christ's glory would be on display today. I pray that you would give me words to preach, and then all of us ears to hear your word in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today we commemorate the first Sunday after Epiphany, the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this continues the theme of Epiphany that we celebrated yesterday, which was uh, Jesus uh, uh, revealing his glory to the, the nation, to the Gentiles, uh, the, namely the, the Magi who came to visit him. And we see this theme repeated today in his baptism in, in a, a, a different kind of a way, but uh, the, the glory of God being unveiled to many in the face of Jesus. Now, there's a lot going on in the baptism of Jesus, but there's one specific aspect that I really want to, to, to focus in on today because in the baptism of Jesus, this is the first epiphany or revealing of Jesus as Messiah, as Christ. So today we're going to focus on the Messiahship of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in order to really understand this, we have to start with that word Messiah, because in our post-Christian West, we've got a lot of baggage that comes along with it. Some people think of Messiah figures who lead cult-like groups because they've watched too many documentaries on the History Channel. So people have a lot of concepts that uh, I, I just want to get to the bottom of it. What does that word actually mean? Well, Messiah comes from the Hebrew word Masach, which, mean, which is holy oil. It is used by the Hebrew people in, under the Old Testament law uh, for a, a variety of different reasons. So one who is a Messiah is an anointed one or one who's been smeared with holy oil. We might hear that and think, why? What, what, what's the, the point of that? Well, so when we go to the Old Testament, when we read about it in Exodus uh, verse uh, 25 and on, we hear uh, God command the people of Israel to crush olives, to take perfume, to put it together and to create and craft holy anointing oil. We hear in verse 26, with it you shall anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table, all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and the basin and its stand. Basically, all of the tabernacle and all of the different instruments used in worship of God. And, and the, the author says, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Holy oil is, is used to make holy certain items, uh, objects, locations. So the temple and the items used in it. But then we hear Moses say, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. This holy oil is used on people, the priesthood in particular. So holy oil was used for this purpose, to designate people uh, to serve in the tabernacle. And that was the, the intended purpose behind it. What's interesting, though, is as history of, of Israel unfolds, the prophets began to use holy anointing oil and repurpose it for a different end. You see, Samuel, pour oil 
on Saul and designate him as the king of Israel. It's used to mark out kings. And then as, you know, if, if those of you who remember, um, Saul is anointed king, and then the Holy Spirit rushes upon him and prepares him for this ministry of kingship over the nation of Israel. And the same happens to David, who is anointed king, and the Holy Spirit empowers him to be king over Israel. And this happens to other kings in David's lineage as well. So uh, kings are, start to be consecrated like priests with God's holy presence using holy oil. And you, we hear this today in, in, in um, uh, the description of David in Psalm 89. We hear in verse 20, I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall establish with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. So David is titled the, the Lord's anointed because he is uh, consecrated as king over Israel. Later on in the psalm, and this is the same psalm that we spoke earlier, we hear, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. The anointed king, David, is, is designated here as God's son. He has some sort of a kingly inheritance through this anointing. We hear God say, My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of heaven. After David, God promises, makes a covenant with David, and says that your lineage, your children, your sons will be anointed kings after me so that there will always be someone occupying the throne of Israel. And so the term anointed or anointed one or Messiah or Greek Christ, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, it's his title, begin, begins to designate the king of Israel. So then as history unfolds and there are really bad and wicked kings, and then eventually Israel goes into exile and there's no king, there becomes a longing for God to establish an anointed one, to restore the nation of Israel, to fix everything, to right all the wrongs that are going on in the world. The future Davidic king, the Messiah, promised by God to set the world right. And the prophets begin to predict that there is one coming, a Messiah, that will right all the wrongs in the world, that will reestablish the people of God. And we, we hear the prophets Jeremiah and Zechariah and namely Isaiah speak of this coming Messiah. So in Isaiah, the very beginning of Isaiah, you might remember this from the Christmas season that we just came through, but Isaiah 7 uh, he predicts that there is an Emmanuel, a virgin-born child. And this is a sign to the house of David. Two chapters later, Isaiah predicts that there, there's a child to be born, a son to be given, who the government will be upon his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and he'll occupy the throne of David. And then two chapters later, see, there's a con it's about the same person. Two chapters later, in Isaiah 11, 
we hear about this son of David. We hear, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. And what we hear here is that his family tree has just been hacked off. It's a stump. That's all that's left. No more kings, right? We see that a, a shoot from the stump of Jesse comes out. It becomes a branch from its roots that bears fruit. Basically, a child will be born that will occupy the throne of David, the Messiah. And we hear of this Messiah, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This Messiah will have the Holy Spirit come upon him, just as the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and came upon David, this child's great-great-great-great-grandfather. And will empower this, this one, this Messiah, to be king over Israel. And we hear about his character qualities. He will not judge by what his eyes sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the meek of the earth. He is going to right the wrongs in human society. He is upright, and his righteousness will, uh, his righteous judgments will right every wrong. But not just in human society, but in the entire world, the created order. This Messiah, empowered by the Spirit, will change creation. We hear Isaiah say, The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. I don't know if you're that familiar with animals in the animal kingdom. I'm not. I've been to the zoo a few times, but uh, a wolf will not lie down with a lamb together. Only one of them's going to lie down and will lie down with a full belly. And so you know that if you're reading this, and that there's harmony and peace between a carnivore and, and food, um, then this must mean that the created order has been changed, that death has been rid of, that the righteousness that the Messiah is bringing will spread through creation. Isaiah predicts that this coming king will reassemble and bring back Israel from exile and then rule over all the nations of the world. This is the anointed king to come that will fix the world. And he does so by the spirit of God resting upon him. And I just want us to pretend that we are not in a Christian church and we don't know the rest of the story. If you're hearing that for the first time, you're thinking, well, when will this anointed one come? When will he be anointed? When will he fix the world, all the wrongs be made right? You see, because when David was anointed, that was a pivotal moment. Not everyone recognized him as king for a while, but God marked him and the Holy Spirit fell upon him after he was anointed. He was made king right then and right there. So when will this pivotal moment happen to the Messiah, the promised king? Actually, we read about it today. We heard it in Peter's words in, in Acts 10. We hear Peter speak of this pivotal, central moment. In verse 37, he says, You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism 
that, that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. When Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, he was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. That's when he was made the anointed one, the Messiah, and he was anointed. We might hear this and think, well, where's the oil? I mean, yeah, sure, this is a lot cleaner. You know, there's no, no slipperiness or anything like that, but where's the oil, the, the holy oil? Well, you see in the Old Testament, there's actually a few times where um, uh, the, the authors will describe someone as anointed without little holy oil. Elijah was to anoint Elisha, the prophet, to be his successor. We don't hear anything about oil. We do hear about the Holy Spirit coming in a double portion on Elisha and him being anointed in that way. And then we also hear Isaiah, again, speak of the anointed one as one who is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And what's fascinating to me is that in, in, in Luke's gospel, Jesus quotes Isaiah speaking of himself and his own baptism. In Luke chapter 4, this is right after Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, we hear that he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he goes into the wilderness, tempted for 40 days, and then he returns full of the Holy Spirit from the wilderness, the baptism being still fresh on his mind. He comes to Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue, and on, on the Sabbath, he opens the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He closes the scroll and says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In Jesus' own mind, his baptism was when he was anointed and empowered and began his ministry of salvation and restoration. The baptism of Jesus tells us that he is the anointed Messiah. He is the one who will accomplish all of these things. Good news to the poor, proclaiming liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and the proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the one, and this is all on display, unveiled at his baptism. And this is good news for the world and for us, his people. And it's good news for us also, the people of God, because we who have been baptized are anointed by the Holy Spirit in our baptism. What is true of Jesus by nature becomes true of us by grace. We are baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. We hear, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. We hear this throughout the scriptures. Acts 2.38, we're commanded to repent and be baptized. And then we hear this promise, you will receive the Holy Spirit. This becomes our pivotal moment. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, St. Paul says, It's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We are little miniature anointed ones, little Christs. And if that freaks you out, that's literally what the word Christian means, a little Christ. So it's okay. In baptism, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. And John 1 verse 12 tell us, tells us that we become children of God. We who believe in Jesus become children of God. So we are anointed by the same Holy Spirit for a reason, though. To spread Jesus' messianic kingdom. To bring the kingdom of God on earth. We are anointed by the Spirit to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open prison to those bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the good news of Jesus' kingdom and bring it on earth as it is in heaven. And we could reject the grace of God given in baptism or just ignore it and just forget about it, Many of us have done that. But that gift, that gift given in baptism, that anointing of the Holy Spirit, the down payment of our salvation is still available for you, to all of us who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So brothers and sisters, remember your baptism today. Remember your baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.